Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I want to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. I was small in stature as a little boy. I grew 13 inches in the summer between the seventh and eighth grade. And I knew from being bullied at a young age that I could never be physically abusive toward anyone. My problem was that I was sometimes not very gentle with my words. I could put someone in their place when they were unkind to me, and I would become confrontational if I was mistreated. That didn't change until Christ came into my life. That's when the Holy Spirit really began to work on me and in me, and my journey with gentleness truly began. He changed the tone of my voice in ways I could never imagine. He gave me an awareness of people who needed kind assurances and comfort. He has given me words of hope for those for whom I pray and sometimes lets me see the results of his healing touch. He gave me the gift of encouragement and places me in the paths of people who need it. The more these gifts are used, the more he strengthens them. There are times when it is a challenge to be gentle. It requires prayer, study of the word, and a daily surrender to the Holy Spirit to keep these gifts growing. And even in the midst of this, the adversary seeks to divert my attention away from the mission. I think back on moments in my life when this has been difficult. I had an old boss tell me to get out of his office using harsh language. I probably could have heard him verbally. Trust me, I literally had to bite my tongue. The Holy Spirit was giving me the strength to overcome the innate and human desire to react with equal harshness and to either respond with gentle words or just ignore the negativity altogether. The trick is not to internalize or take these things personally. Sins are committed against God, not us. He says, vengeance is mine and I will repay it. I know that I'm a work in progress and that it is him who works through me rather than me working through him. When things get tough, I remember that I'm just a branch and he is the vine and that life is a journey full of ups and downs, but faith keeps me moving forward one step at a time. Signed, Gerald Kaufman. When I think of gentleness, that's who I think of. Think of Gerald. Video doesn't quite capture this, but he's around six, eight. Gentleness is not an absence of strength. It's not an absence of power. It's strength and power under control of the Holy Spirit. And Gerald has modeled that, like he spoke of the gift of encouragement and the gift of prayer that God has given him and I have benefited from that in my life over the last decade or so. 
And really, this is what it should look like for us as followers of Jesus, that we grow in these fruit of the Spirit, and it becomes what affects the people around us so that when people hear words like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, they have a face that they put with that, they have a name that they put with that, and it's a follower of Jesus. This week we're talking about gentleness, and here's how I want us to start. If you go to the grocery store and you walk through the produce section, what kind of fruit do you get? Probably the staples, right? Like, I don't know, apples, oranges, grapes, um, berries, strawberries, different berries, depending on what's in season. But how many of you get figs, like on the regular, you buy figs? Any fig buyers? Okay, a few of you. Fig Newtons don't count, sir. Like, that's not, that doesn't technically count. Uh, what about uh, dates? Any of you buy date? Well, let me word that differently. Any of you uh, <laughs> date lovers? Ah, there's got to be another way to say it. Any of you eat the fruit of dates on the regular? Okay, some? Some date lovers out there? Uh, what about rhubarb? How many of you buy rhubarb? The fruit called rhubarb. We've got a couple, but not many. Some of you are like, I think rhubarb's a vegetable. It's not a fruit. No, you're wrong. I researched it this week, 1947. This is true and it's for free, but the, the U.S. court officially said rhubarb's a fruit. So there you go. It's a slow judicial year, 1947. They were just cleaning up some details of life for us. But, but here's what I would say, is that figs and dates and rhubarb, they are the overlooked fruits. They are the forgotten fruits. They are the disrespected fruits. We're not even sure they should be a fruit at all. We don't think of them. We don't necessarily desire them or want them. And I would say that gentleness is the um, rhubarb of the fruit of the spirit. Uh, in other words, I, up until this point in the series, I don't think I have had to make much of a case that whatever fruit we've identified or talked through is something that you should want or desire, love, yeah. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, we all want those things. But we get to gentleness, and I'm not sure if we really want it, and we're not even sure if it should be on that list. It doesn't seem that appetizing. I think it's because when we hear the word gentleness, we tend to think of this passive person that gets walked on. If you're applying for a job, and on the resume or the job application, they say, what characteristics would you say describe you? What words would you say identify who you are, chances are you're not gonna write gentle there because you know that's not what your employer's looking for, right? Like no employer looks around and says, you know what we need around here is it's more gentle people. Ah, no, we want people who are ambitious and motivated and driven. No politician gets votes because they're gentle. If you watch the debates, they're not trying to convince people that they're the gentle choice, right? Like that's not what gets rewarded. No athlete gets a uh, gentleness award at the end of the season. I, I just don't think for, well, if you're hiring an attorney, if you're hiring an attorney, you don't want an attorney who's, who's gentle. You don't want this gentle kitty cat attorney. You want the tiger on your side, right? Like you want somebody who's gonna do whatever it takes to make it happen. And, and so when we hear the word gentle, for the most part, I I'm not sure we're convinced that it's something we, we really want, if it's something that we really desire. There's some research that backs this up. Uh, Barna 
identified, a research group identified 30 characteristics in scripture that describe a follower of Jesus. And then they asked Christians to rank those 30 characteristics of a follower of Jesus in order of significance, one through 30. Number 30 on the list, do you wanna guess? Gentleness. The least significant of all the qualities, and yet what we find in Scripture is that this word consistently is used to describe people who follow Jesus. They're gentle. We tend to think gentleness and weakness go together. If you type in gentle and look at synonyms, you'll get words like this, uh, mild, tender, soft, docile, unless you're a newborn baby. Like that's not what you want. Like that's not how you wanna be described as docile, tender, fragile. Like that's, that's not what we're going after. And so what I wanna do in the next few minutes is take a little more time than we usually might to unpack how the Bible uses this one word. Because I think there's some confusion around what would be an accurate biblical definition of gentleness. And because there's confusion, we don't necessarily seek it or pray for it or wanna grow in it. But the Greek word here is the word prautes, and it could also be translated as meekness, or it could be translated as humble of heart. And I, I think that's somewhat helpful, but what's probably most helpful in understanding this word is to look at the picture or the illustration that goes with it. In the Greek language, um, it was a very visual culture, so they will oftentimes have a, a word picture or an illustration to help you understand a word's intended meaning. The word picture for prautes or the illustration that goes with it would be a horse that has been tamed. A, a powerful, strong horse that is under the control of the rider. That's the picture. And, and so for our purposes here, think of a set of reins that control the horse and get handed over to the owner. And the owner can, or the rider can steer that horse, make it go fast or slow. The, the rider has control of the horse if the rider has the reins and the horse has been tamed. And so that's the picture of prautes. A, a biblical definition on this would be power and strength that is under control for the benefit of others. It's not the lack of power and it's not the lack of strength. It's power and strength that's under control for the benefit of others. Uh, my wife and oldest daughter, uh, run a horse farm that we live on, and I have very little to do with it. I, I pretty much have nothing to do with it. I, I don't know the names of most of uh, the horses. I didn't grow up with animals unless you count a goldfish, which that was even only a couple of days. And so I, I, I wasn't used to this. My wife grew up that way, so they, they run this horse farm. They're in charge of it. I, but I see horses a lot, right? When I sit on my front porch, I see horses. When I drive out of my driveway, there's the horses. And I come back, they're waiting on me. And so I, I'm surrounded by horses, but I don't like getting close to them because I, I mean, I'm a little intimidated. Like these are strong and powerful animals. And I feel like they're big, I don't know, their big horse eyes freak me out. Like I feel like they can just <laughs> sense my control issues and sense my fear. And so I, I stay away from them, but, but my wife and daughter, as long as they have the reins, like they have control of the horse. Like they, they get on, they ride these horses. They're a thousand pounds. The, the horses are a thousand pounds. <laughs> but they, I mean, they have, they have control because they have, because they have the reins. <laughs> and, and, and the Holy Spirit 
as we talk through this fruit, the picture is that he has the reins of our strength and power. It's not the absence of it, it's that we hand the reins over to him. And so as we begin each day, we are not starting the day in weakness. Do not, do not mistake gentleness as weakness. We're starting the day in power, but we're handing the reins of that power over to the Holy Spirit. Nobody else, nobody else gets to control how you react and how you respond. He does. That's the picture. If we want to understand this word, um, prautes in Galatians 5, under the fruit of the Spirit, there's another list that helps us in Galatians 5. So towards the top of Galatians 5, Paul gives us uh, another list. It's kind of the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. He, he calls it, I don't know how it's titled in your Bible, it might be the acts of the sinful nature or the acts of the flesh. But to keep our metaphor of fruit and garden, you can think of this list as the weeds that grow up and choke out the fruit. And if you're gonna grow a garden, if you're gonna plant seeds that will bear fruit, you don't just go throw it in the garden, like you, you prepare the ground, you pull the weeds, get the weeds out. And then you continue to keep it free and clear of weeds so that the fruit can grow. And as we talk about becoming, we have, I think for many of us, this frustration that we're not becoming the way we wanna become or at the pace we hoped we would. It just seems slow, like this fruit in our lives, we desire it, but it doesn't seem to blossom. And what Paul will say to us here is that the reason why we're not bearing this fruit of the spirit in our lives is that there are these weeds of the flesh or these weeds of the sinful nature that need to be dealt with. Look at verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They go against each other. They war with one another. There is this conflict with each other so that you don't do what you want. You wonder why? It's difficult, why you're struggling, why you haven't grown, this is why. If you're a follower of Jesus and this fruit isn't growing in your life, then likely there's some weeds that need to be pulled. Now here's the thing, some of the weeds that are growing may not seem to have much connection to your gentleness but they're connected. That if you're watering weeds over here, then you can't really expect to grow in gentleness. And so Paul says, you gotta deal with these weeds so that the fruit can grow. And then in verse 19 and following, he identifies what some of those weeds are in this other list. Here, here's the list of weeds. Sexual immorality, Impurity and debauchery. Debauchery is another way of saying like pleasure without restraint. You're gonna do whatever you wanna do, feel like doing. And then he mentions in verse 20, idolatry and witchcraft. So think in terms of putting your hope in something or someone other than God, like trying to find power or purpose for your life in this over here, trying to find hope in something other than God. And then in this list, he gives you a number of words here that don't seem especially connected to your relationship with God, more your relationship with other people. Listen to this list. Weeds that grow up, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. It's really about how we treat one another. And then the list ends, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. See what he does here. See, bookends the list. He begins and ends with things that you would assume would be on there. Like he begins with debauchery, he ends with orgies, but in the middle of it are all these weeds that a lot of us tend to overlook in our gardens. 
that they don't seem that significant and yet they're overrunning our gardens and keeping fruit from growing in our lives. And right in the middle of that list, there's this phrase, fits of rage or outbursts of anger. And this word is the antonym for praoutes. It is the opposite of gentleness. This fits of rage, this outbursts of anger, no rain, life with no rains. And it's putting everybody in danger, bucking and rearing, totally at the mercy of your emotions. It's frustration and aggravation that just is out of control. And some of you know people who are like this, like these weeds are just kind of running wild. And these people tend to be like hyper reactive. You say something to them and they react in a way that you weren't expecting. And suddenly their voice is raised and they're calling names and they're yelling or they're withdrawn in silence and they kind of write you off and talk badly about you behind your back, but they don't want to have anything to do with you. This is the opposite of prioritize. Or it's the person who is really defensive and takes things, takes things personal. And so a wife says to her husband, hey, do you mind checking on the kids? And the husband snaps at her. What's that supposed to mean? I check on the kids just as much as you do. There it is. It's the opposite of gentleness. It's the person who's constantly critical. Like they live in this state of irritation and aggravation because they're just aware of how many things should be different and the way people need to change around them. Always, always looking through that lens of criticism that's causing them to be short and, and irritable. And some of you grew up in homes like this, kind of a minefield. You didn't know where to step. One minute, everything's fine. The next minute, mom's yelling, dad's shouting, you're hiding. And it's the opposite of gentleness. And so Paul defines praoutes, and then he gives us the opposite of it. These fits of rage, these outbursts of anger. And so with that in mind, you're kind of using those words and then this picture of a horse. I want us to define gentleness this way out of Galatians 5. It's turning the reins of your anger and aggravation over to the Holy Spirit. Anybody need a little help with that? Anybody with somebody who needs a little help with that? It's turning the reins of your anger and aggravation over to the Holy Spirit. So just think for a moment, who has your reins? Who controls the way you respond and react? Like, who determines the words you use? When you're offended, when you're upset, like, what's the process there? What, what determines your response in that moment? Because what I would say for a lot of you is your emotions have been given the reins. And how you feel determines how you react and how you respond. And you don't know how you're gonna feel in any given moment. So your guess is as good as everybody else's around you. And you've just decided that your emotions get to decide how you're gonna talk and, and how you're gonna treat people. And some of you have handed the reins over to your spouse. And you justify the way you react and respond. You justify your defensiveness and your sensitivity. And you're like, well, look, I wouldn't be this way if he wouldn't be this way, if she wasn't like this. It's not me, it's them. It's him, it's her. And, and you're handing the reins over. You're not saying to the Holy Spirit, you control 
my response and my reaction. You're letting your spouse determine how you're gonna react and respond, and then you're blaming them for whatever weeds that are in the garden. Or, or maybe you hand the reins over to, like over to a toddler. You're like, here you go, you're in charge of me now. How, you determine how I get to act during the day. And, and the toddler just, however that toddler acts is gonna determine the way you react and respond. Or you hand, your, you hand the reins over to a teenager. And the teenager knows they're in charge. Like they know they're in control of your emotions. They know that they can say or they can do something and it's gonna cause you to react a certain way. Like they, they know that, that they can, they have the ability because they have the reins. They have the ability to control the volume of your voice. They have the ability to control how harsh you're gonna be and how you're gonna react and respond because they have the reins. And so this idea of gentleness is that we are gonna give the Holy Spirit the reins of our aggravation and our anger. The Holy Spirit gets to be in charge. How do we do that? Well, verse 25 says you keep in step with the Spirit. So I think what that looks like is in the morning, you get this picture of a horse and you handing the reins of the horse over. And you think about your day and who you're gonna to talk to and you just say, Holy Spirit, you have the reins today. You anticipate difficult conversations. You're aware of, of people who are especially challenging, who tend to trigger you and set you off. And you, you say to the Holy Spirit, okay, when we come on this trail we're on, when we get to this person, I'm gonna give you the reins. And, and when that outburst of anger starts to get triggered, you step away. And, and you just get this picture in your mind of prautes that the Holy Spirit is gonna be the one who determines how you react and how you respond, that you are giving, you're giving him control and you're gonna pull the weeds so that that can grow. I just wanna to touch on a few things that'll happen as he, as he does this in your life. One is that your gentleness will grow over time. I think there can be a frustration when we try to be gentle and then we're just like not. Like you leave here, you're like, okay, I'm in. I'm gonna be gentle from now on, I'm, I'm gentle. And then you get in the parking lot and you're not, you're not even on the road and you've forgotten all about it. Like you, you're not even out of the parking lot. And, and so understanding that all, it's true with all of these. I just especially want to underline it with gentleness that it's, it's a growth. Gerald talked about this, that, that the Holy Spirit begins to change the way you talk, the way you respond, the way you react. What I've discovered this week in studying gentleness and talking to some people about this fruit in particular is that perhaps more than most of the others outside of perhaps patience, we tend to think of ourselves like we're either that way or we're not. It's just like temperament. It's just my temperament. Can't help it, it's the way I'm wired. It's the family I came from, we're all that way, right? It's, um, it's my Enneagram number, uh, it's, it's just, just nature. And Paul says, you're right, it is nature. It's the sinful nature, actually. And so gentleness sometimes gets connected to genetics. And we say, well, I can't help it, it's just the way I am. But what Paul says here is you put to death your sinful nature and you let gentleness grow over time. And, and I know for some of you, like, it's not natural at all. I think for most of us to a large degree, it just isn't natural. Like, it, it's not natural. 
maybe to be empathetic. It's natural to feel anger. Like that's what feels natural. Toddler recognizes this. Like they're at the mercy of their emotions, so they're not empathetic. They get angry. Anger is natural. Or maybe for you, like um, a sarcastic reaction is natural. You're just good at it. It's a gift. And so you're, you're sarcastic like that. And, and what's not natural for you is a sincere response. What's natural for you is to be critical. Like you just are able to see what people need to do differently. Like you just, you know what's wrong with people and you can identify what they need to change in their lives. What's not natural perhaps is encouragement. And so Paul says you need to put to death what is natural and you need to grow in this fruit of the spirit. In other words, you can't just say, that's the way I am. I'm just wired this way, it's just my personality. In fact, the more you say that, the more intentional you need to be in this area. What we tend to do is dismiss some of the things that just feel like nature to us because we don't have control over it. It's just the way I am. I wish I was different. I wish I was a little laid, more laid back. I wish I could be a little bit more chill. I'm just not that way. And, and so we dismiss it when in reality, it should cause us to lean into it. And so Paul says, you put these things to death. Gentleness grows over time. Um, second thing, that I see in scripture is that when we grow in gentleness, what that looks like is it changes the way we speak. It changes how we talk. The evidence that the fruit of the Holy Spirit of gentleness is growing in your life is, is your mouth. It's what comes out of your mouth. And so fits of rage tends to show itself in Yelling, sarcasm, criticism, silent treatment. When the Holy Spirit grows us in gentleness, he changes how we speak. And one of the things that's interesting, if you study the Holy Spirit in scripture, there is this direct connection to the Holy, being filled with the Holy Spirit and the words that we speak. There's a consistent correlation between those two things. I'll give you a few examples of this. Acts chapter two, verse four, this is the day of Pentecost. The church is beginning. Peter and the disciples stand in front of a crowd of thousands. Um, they speak different languages. Peter, the disciples, they don't know these languages. They don't know the languages so they can speak to these people about Jesus. Acts two, verse four, filled with the Holy Spirit, they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. The Holy Spirit empowers them to speak a language that they didn't know. They weren't taught growing up. They're not fluent in it. Like, it's new for them. And if the Holy Spirit can do that, then some of you who grew up and your like, native tongue is criticism and harshness and anger. Like, if that's your, what you're fluent in, the Holy Spirit can give you new words. He can change your tone. He can change the way you speak. Honestly, this is one of my favorite things that I see as a pastor is someone comes to Jesus, they start following Jesus, and over time, they start to just sound different. They become more encouraging, more positive, more tender, more gentle, not weak, but strength and courage under the reins of the Holy Spirit. Another example, Acts 4, verse 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he said to them, what I want you to see in just this very simple verse is the order of things. 
He's filled with the Holy Spirit before he speaks. And this would be the challenge, right? As we keep in step with the Spirit, before you open your mouth, pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you and to fill your heart. Picture the reins being handed over and pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you. I know in that moment, you're not gonna wanna do that. (laughs) But if you'll learn to do that, if you'll grow in that, it'll change the way you talk. Verse 25 says of God, God, you spoke, here's how you spoke. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant. It's how God speaks. It's how he communicates to people, by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of his followers. Acts four, verse 31, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. And so the Holy Spirit should change how we talk. He should change the tone of our voice and the words that we choose. He should change the way you sound when you sit down with an employee who's made a pretty significant mistake. He should change the way you have that conversation with the coworker. He should change the kind of conversations you've been having about somebody when they're not around. He should control your mouth in a way that that begins to sound different. He should change the way you sound like uh, on the basketball court or in the boardroom. He begins, to, he begins to change how we speak. Ephesians chapter four, Paul talks about how our words can grieve the Holy Spirit. Like how our words can make the Holy Spirit sad. Look at this, verse 30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Don't make the Holy Spirit sad by how you live. But if you look at this in context, how you live is really addressing how you speak. It's how you talk. Look at it in context, verse 29. Don't use foul language or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. There's the filter. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will bring courage, bring strength to those who hear them. And there, here's the verse, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own and has guaranteed that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and harsh, harsh words, and slander. Get rid of those things. They do not reflect the Holy Spirit's seal on your life. You don't sound like him when you talk that way, when you use that tone. You don't sound like him when you're full of bitterness rage. You don't sound like him when you're talking badly about people and there's slander in your life. Instead, he says, verse 32, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Don't make the Holy Spirit sad by how you talk. Give him the reins. It makes sense to me that we could grieve God, we could grieve the Holy Spirit by the way we treat one another. Robert uh, Fulgham tells the story of when his daughter Molly was a little girl. One day she gave him a paper bag to take with him to work and he sat down at his desk and he pulled out that paper bag from his daughter and he kind of dumped out the contents on the desk. It's kind of this random collection, two ribbons, three stones, a plastic dinosaur, tiny seashell, used lipstick, two chocolate kisses, 13 pennies. He didn't really know what to make of it. He kind of smiled and thought it was cute and sweet and finished his lunch. And then before going back to work, he just swept it all into the trash can. And he got home that evening 
As soon as he got home, his daughter asked where her bag was. He didn't know he was supposed to bring it back. I left it at the office, he said. And he asked why. And she said, well, those are my favorite things in the sack, Daddy, the things I really like. Thought you might want to have them and play with them. And then when she saw him hesitate, tears welled up in her eyes and she said, you didn't lose that bag, did you, Daddy? And he said he, he didn't and that he would bring it home tomorrow. And then as soon as she went to bed, he raced back to the office and dug it out of the trash before the janitor could empty the trash cans. And, and Fulgham writes, Molly had given me her treasures, all that a seven-year-old held dear, her favorite things, and I missed it, not just missed it, I'd thrown it away. I went back to my office, I dumped all the waste baskets onto my desk, I collected everything, I uncrumpled the bag, I filled the bag with those two ribbons, three stones, a plastic dinosaur, a tiny seashell, used lipstick, two chocolate kisses, and 13 pennies. And he took the bag home and he sat down with Molly and Molly told him the story of behind each treasure, why it's important to her. He then writes, to my surprise, Molly gave me the bag once again several days later, same ratty bag, same stuff inside. He said, over several months, that bag went with me from time to time. I was never really clear on what I did or didn't do to get the privilege of having the bag of favorite things on a certain day. But the more she trusted me with it, the more I got it. In time, he says, Molly turned her attention to other things and grew up, and then one morning, she gave me the bag and she never asked for it back, and it sits in my office as a reminder of the things that she trusted me with, the treasures that were hers. I read that story, I think of how God is with us, that he gives us treasures, people, that are so precious to him. But we don't think much about it. We don't pay much attention to it. We're busy, we've got a lot of things going on and we aren't trying to be careless but sweep them into the trash, grieves the Holy Spirit. But the more carefully we, careful we are, the more gentle we are with those he trusts us with, the treasures that he gives to us, the people in our life, the more he gives us people in our life to treasure and to be gentle with. And this is how God is with us. Like it's a picture of how God is with us. He's so, he's so gentle. Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and have a heavy burden, and I'll give you rest. He says, because I am, I am prautes. I am gentle. It's who I am. I am humble in heart, he says. Do not confuse gentleness with weakness. It is not a lack of strength. It is not a lack of courage. It is strength and courage under control of the Holy Spirit. And when we turn the reins over to him, he helps us grow this fruit in our lives. Look, I know for some of you, like this is a tough message because like the ride here was difficult. <laughs> like, you, like you don't even have to go back that far. And, and maybe this is just the way people talk in your home growing up or maybe at work. Like people aren't gentle with one another. Maybe you've handed the reins over to your emotions or maybe you've handed the reins over to like the political pundit on YouTube. Like, like the political pundit on YouTube is what you start watching early in the morning and you're like, here, I'll give you the reins for the rest of the day. And so 
I just want you to recognize that God is gentle with your lack of gentleness. Like he gently calls you and invites you, says, come to me, so that gentleness will bear gentleness. And so I want you to hear that. I talk to so many people who feel like, well, I've got to get these things fixed and under control, and I've got to get these things cleaned up, and I've got to change the way I talk and the words I use. I've got to change all of that so that God will accept me, so God will be gentle with me. And this isn't how it works. It's not how it works. The Holy Spirit says, you come as you are, you give me the reins, and you let me help you grow this fruit. You, help me, you let me help you pull these weeds. And, and over time, it begins to grow, and we look more and more like Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are gentle with us. It's by your grace. It's not because we deserve it or are worthy of it. It's uh, one of the reasons we worship you with all of our hearts when we gather together is we just recognize your kindness to us, your mercy towards us. God, it would be my prayer as a church that the, the more the world seems to not have this and not even value it, maybe not even want it, that, that it would mark us as a church, as followers of Jesus, we would be people who are gentle, not people who are weak, but people who are strong, and people who are courageous and powerful because we've handed the reins over to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.